It's official. One Shining Podcast is back, and I am your host, Tate Frazier. And as March Madness begins, we're covering everything from Selection Sunday all the way to the championship and beyond. We're going to have great guests that are coming through on the show. And look, if you're a friend of the program and you're already subscribed, you don't have to do anything. OSP is back. It's going to be right back in your feed. And if you're not a friend of the program and this is your first time on the rodeo, then let me tell you this. You need to go to Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts and smash subscribe today because the OSP show is back. It's the Ringer Gambling Show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back. And better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus, and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler. Visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. All righty, let's roll, baby. Welcome into the Ringer Gambling Show. It is a late Saturday night. JJ Johnson-Strevsky getting you ready for the end of the round of 32. And I got a little help. I'm licking my wounds after Duke gets eliminated. Should have known when everybody and their mother was on Duke today. Penn State goes down like absolute warriors. They get another cover for us. We'll take it. What a run for the Nittany Lions. But Eli Herskovitz, who does a fabulous job, to me, he is one of, if not the premier college basketball handicapper you're going to talk to. He's into it in November. He's into it in December. He eats this stuff up. He's at the lines, thelines.com. He's got the college basketball betting podcast. Eli, thanks for staying up late. I'm fired up. My voice is totally shot. You know, it's March <laughs> Madness, bro. Dude, I know, man. I got the hogs. I know people can't see it, but I got the Arkansas sweatshirt on. So I'm just as hype, man. Great day of hoops. Well, I'm super proud of Arkansas, by the way. I was licking my wounds after me and the rest of America lost money on the Duke <laughs> Blue Devils. You called it. You told me a couple of days ago when I said Duke Final Four, Duke National Champion. You're like, JJ, I love you. Don't see it. Don't buy the ACC for a minute. I salute you, sir. But I want to give you some love on Arkansas. You have the future to win the region. I think you're invested to win a national championship. They'd knock off the number one seed in Kansas. I know the, the region, Eli, is really, really tricky still, but you're alive and kicking, bro. That's all you can hope for. Dude, I know. And I mean, it's all about the number to your point, right? Because it's a loaded region. So obviously, therefore, you're going to get a better price, especially on a number eight seed. And I was surprised because over the last couple of games, granted, Illinois, a bit of an easier opponent, but 
Nick Smith doesn't play well again today. Earlier today in the round of 32, we're recording this on Saturday, obviously, but they get a heck of an effort from Devo Davis in the second half, putting up 21 points. Ricky Council, the fourth, not the third, not the second, not the first, but the Ricky Council, the fourth, puts up a huge second half effort as well, especially after Devo Davis fouled out in Arkansas eight on the offensive glass, which was a big advantage uh, going up against a Kansas team that lacks that dynamic big like we've seen on some of their championship teams. Before we get to the Sunday card, what was the more thrilling gambling moment of Saturday? I'll let you be the judge of this because I was on the right side of one of them. I was not on the right side of the other. The Lundy and one for Penn State to cover yet again or the sequence at the end of UCLA and Northwestern where you're screaming, oh, no, how do you foul the three-point shooter? Uh, which one did you enjoy more? I'm curious. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great it's a great topic, especially when it's it's two betters discussing it that love college hoops. But I would say the Northwestern one because Bowie misses the layup on the previous se- sequence, and then UCLA goes down and hits two free throws. I think it was Tiger Campbell. It was money at the free throw line for them, as always, maybe with the exception of the Pac-12 uh, tournament championship game. But then Bowie gets fouled, knocks down all three. So I think it had to be Bowie now. Penn State backers, after what we saw in the second half, nearly upsetting Texas. I think Texas might be right for uh, the pick in, whether it's against Xavier or Pitt. Maybe we could talk that a little bit later on in the Sweet 16. But I think Northwestern, just because justice was served for Wildcats backers. Wow, that's an interesting point you just made there when it comes to Texas. Because I am invested in Pitt. I took a long shot Sweet 16 ticket. I'm tight with Coach O'Toole, who I love. I love what Jeff Capel has done there. I don't like, Eli, how this line is moving against the Pitt Panthers. Now, (laughs) Pitt's been good to me. It's like Penn State. I'm going to the well here again. I may not love the pick. It's definitely not one of my favorite plays on Sunday. Xavier Pitt, you have a strongly number one. Number two, you think the winner could be live against Texas in the Sweet 16. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'll get to that point in a second, but... The line, I don't really have a lead on this game. I think it's priced correctly. And Pitt got very fortunate against Iowa State. I know people might be looking at that score just surface level and saying, well, the Panthers dominated that dominated that game from start to finish. But Iowa State missed a lot of open threes. And that is not a good Cyclone shooting team, even with Jared Holmes transferring in from St. Bonaventure, still an inconsistent three-point shooter. So... In this sort of a setting where their defense isn't really trustworthy, they don't turn the ball over when I'm talking about Pitt. They have the Colgate transfer at the point, who's a very low turnover percentage and a high-profile point guard in his own right in L.A. Cummings. Purton's played well as uh, as well for them. I just can't really get there with this line. I don't see a ton of value. Again, I think it's priced correctly after. And maybe you might say, well, is Xavier overvalued just because of what we saw against Kennesaw State? And you can make the case that they are, but like we know, JJ in March, everything boils down to matchups. So don't really like the number either way. It's a stay away for you. I- I'm going to the well one more time. I'm going to ride that Pitt Sweet 16 ticket. Say a prayer, see where it takes us. Eli? I like it. I, I like you, it, man. Good luck because to you. Because yesterday, I was all over Duke. I told everybody, I'm like, Duke's going to win. They're hot. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Couldn't have been more wrong. I own it. I acknowledge it. I feel the same way about Kentucky tomorrow against Kansas State. I, I just do. I, I love Shri- the big center. I can't pronounce his name. Shebae, I think that's Shibway. what it is. Uh, Shibae, I was close. Okay, I give myself an A for effort. 
stud, <laughs> basically getting 20, 20 games. I know this hasn't been a vintage Kentucky team. I just did not like what I saw at the end of the year from Kansas State. I did not like what I saw down the stretch of the regular season. I did not like what I saw in the Big 12 tournament. All of a sudden, you see a six seed favored by three over a three seed. Is this going to be the game, you think, where all the odds makers in America are like, yeah, we need Kansas State? That immediately scares the you-know-what out of me. just does. <laughs> no, man, I think you're on the right side with Kentucky. Now, the line has bolted up a little bit. I think it opened up at some shops at Kentucky minus one up to Kentucky minus three. Yeah, Oscar Shibway, it's a tough name to pronounce if you haven't been watching him. I was going to say, pronunciation to, is not a strong suit, Eli, so you got to understand that, you know? I do. We've known each other for a while, man. I hear you. But yeah, Shibway put up 13 rebounds with three minutes to go in the first half against Providence on Friday. That's one of the better rebounding teams across college basketball. But I'm with you, man. This kind of goes back to my Arkansas point where we were talking about the Hogs, because if you go back to the beginning of the season, Arkansas had the fifth shortest odds to win the national championship. So it doesn't, it never really matters how well you play in February. I know everyone likes to talk about that. And this actually is a good example with Texas because Texas was red hot going into the tournament and they had a scare against Penn State. But that team, just going back to that point quickly, the Longhorns don't defend three threes well. And they got fortunate with Penn State's three-point shooting. So that's kind of why I think either Xavier or Pitt would have a chance because of their perimeter efficiency. But back to Kentucky, it's similar to Arkansas because Kentucky had the second shortest odds entering the season. And people are probably, you know, not really a huge fan of the Wildcats, especially after they lost to Vanderbilt in the first round of the SEC tournament. But this is still one of the most talented teams in college basketball, led by Sheepway. However you want to pronounce his name, JJ, you have Kaysen Wallace at the point, the five-star who's taken over for Severe Wheeler since he's been out. And, and this team has shooting, which they didn't have last year, especially when Kellen Grady developed plantar fasciitis in the SEC tournament and in that first round against St. Peter's. So I, I know it's crazy to think, okay, well, how could I back Kentucky even after they were pretty comfortably ahead against Providence throughout that game and obviously covered. But this team has shooting, which is the key with Antonio Reeves, the Illinois State transfer. And if you get anything out of C.J. Frederick here in this region, that is wide open. In my bracket, I have Kentucky going to the Final Four, going to the championship game, actually. So I'm with you. I think the Cats, I don't know about the line just because it's been bumped up since the opener, but I'm with you on Kentucky overall. Well, I like the sound that you have in Kentucky in the Final Four because I may have a long shot 50-1 to future on Kentucky that now has a little bit more life now that the Dukies and Purdue are out. Okay, Michigan State and Marquette. Am I crazy here? I love Michigan State in this game. <laughs> I love it. The line opened up at three. It's immediately moved down to two and a half. I'm seeing nothing but public tickets come in on the Golden Eagles. They won the Big East. They won the Big East tournament. They won one win away from getting back to Madison Square Garden. Eli, it's weird with Tom Izzo teams. They either flame out immediately or when they are kind of under the radar, this is where they at times can be the most dangerous because this is the same Michigan State team that lost to Ohio State a week and a half ago. And now I'm convincing myself that I like them not only to cover two and a half, I like them to win the game. A am I falling in love too much with that Izzo mystique or is it justified? No, man, I think we're... I think we're in agreement here once again. I guess I wasn't agreeing with you necessarily on Pitt, but I do think Michigan State is able to win this game outright. 
the guard play is so interesting because as a metrics guy, man, you know, I, I dig into college basketball advanced stats on the daily and Michigan State's like their shot selection isn't great, but they have great contested shot makers. And it starts with Tyson Walker, the mid-major transfer going back to a couple of years ago. You have Joey Hauser, who actually transferred from Marquette. I know it wasn't the coach that he played for because Wojo was still there. You had Marcus Howard, you had Sam Hauser, his older brother there. But that's a very intriguing angle headed into this game. Not that I care that much about the revenge factor, but I do think Michigan State is able to take advantage of a vulnerable defense that the Marquette Golden Eagles have, I think, outside of the top 60 of adjusted defensive efficiency per Ken Palm. And it goes back to the Kentucky point. It goes back to the Arkansas point. I don't know if the line is necessarily inflated for this game with Marquette now shrinking to about a two and a half point favorite, but just overvalued teams based off of conference tournament results. We saw it with Texas a little bit against Penn State. The Nittany Lions covered the line. And I think Marquette is overvalued off that Big East tournament championship, let alone the regular season title. All right. I've really become a Kempom connoisseur this time of the year. So I give a guy like you a ton of credit for that and kind of bringing that influence into my life. Like I always used to check it. I'd always kind of like monitor now with the matchups and the spreads. It really is a great useful tool. If you bet in college basketball, St. Mary's is a darling of Kempom. They're a darling, darling, darling of Kempom. They're playing in Albany. It is going to be a partisan UConn crowd. There's no doubt. UConn, top 20 Eli, offensive, Defensive efficiency. They're a loaded team this year. How is this spread? This spread to me seems light at four. Maybe, again, I'm falling into the trap of seeing Gonzaga absolutely wipe the floor with St. Mary's two of the times I watched them. Because, listen, I'm not watching St. Mary's in their games all year. You know, like, I'm, I'm a big conference guy. So when they played Gonzaga, that's a chance for me to see them. The last two times they played Gonzaga, I was like, holy smokes. They they do not look like a team that I want going deep into my bracket. Yet I look at this line, it seems short at four. Do you think that line is fair or not fair with UConn? Yeah, I think it's fair. And I get what you're talking about with St. Mary's being high in the power ratings, whether it's my own power ratings or college basketball advanced metric power ratings like Kempom, Torvik, and Haslametrics. I do think St. Mary's, though, has a pretty sizable coaching advantage when you think about Randy Bennett, who relies on that ball screen offense. And UConn, though, has the bigs to defend it, even though Bennett versus Hurley, to me, is a pretty decent mismatch. And also, St. Mary's wants to get to the rim with those guards, especially Logan Johnson, who has a bit of an inconsistent jump shot. Ada Mahaney, who has been a marvelous freshman for the Gales, This year, when his jumper isn't going, they try to get him in pick and roll and just ball screens to get to the basket. Like we saw when St. Mary's came back in that first time around against Gonzaga uh, in early February. But going back to Texas, it's similar to UConn, just in terms of my perception of teams that I have futures on, because I have a Texas future going back to late October. I have a UConn future going back to the PK-85 before they won that tournament against Iowa State. I don't care in an NCAA tournament, what futures I have. I look at the line. I look at the the profile of these teams. I look at what my numbers make a game, and I determine things from there. I have no bias towards my futures bets. But I do think UConn has the bigs to match up against, again, a ball screen heavy offense with only one real reliable big for St. Mary's in those pick and roll sets. I do think, though, UConn is vulnerable 
if they do advance against Arkansas just because of the Razorbacks' ball pressure and UConn's turnover issues with Newton, DR, and Andre Jackson, who's a highlight reel one way or the other. St. Mary's doesn't pressure the ball enough for me to, to see any value in that number on that side. Again, this is one I would just stay away from. All right, Eli. Two lines at night. I'm going to give you an opportunity to play one or the other. Creighton-Baylor, very, very tight 3-6 game. I'm going to be on Creighton in this game. Full disclosure, I have a future on Creighton to win the region. I have a future on Creighton to win the national championship. Good value. I'm not going to say no to it. Uh, Baylor's laying one and a half. The other game I'm going to give you, Miami-Indiana. Similar line. Indiana favored by one and a half. Indiana dominant against Kent State. Miami, and that was one of the games I had on Friday where I said, holy smokes, how did I pull this one out of my rear end? They had no (laughs) business winning, covering against Drake, yet they found the way to win and cover against Drake. And they have really, if you think about it, Eli, because I bet a lot against them in the regular season, and they kept throwing it in my face. They kept throwing it in my face. Are they going to do that again to me here? That Syracuse game, I'm guessing? Well, Syracuse game, although I believe Syracuse covered the number that game. It was a monster seven and a half point spread. But there were so many times Miami would be ranked and getting points against you give me the team in the ACC, Virginia Tech, North Carolina, on and on we go. And they would keep winning these games. It would drive me nuts. I give you an opportunity. Creighton, Baylor, Indiana, Miami. You have to play one of these games tomorrow. Which one do you like more? It's Indiana. So to make it uh, the third time's the charm here when I'm talking about my national championship futures, I have Indiana and I actually kind of feel the best about the Hoosiers right now, at least to make it to the final. Really? Wow. Interesting. I thought you were going to tell me Arkansas after the big win tonight. Oh, for sure. To win the region, but I don't have a national title feature on them. I just have that regional future at, at 20 to one. I have that. I have an Indiana future going back to before the first time they beat Purdue in early February at 50 to one. And I made that bet hoping that Xavier Johnson would come back. Now we all know that's not the case and you have to rely on Jalen Huchifino, a freshman as your primary point guard. But going back to the end of the Drake game, that's what I want to focus on because over the last five, 20 or so, five plus minutes, Drake put up one point and obviously DeVries shooting like absolute crap was a big reason why the Bulldogs couldn't cover because they were up eight with five plus minutes to go. Just, if you had Drake, I, I sincere apologies as a Bulldogs backer. But Indiana, in terms of breaking the press among tournament teams, they have the seventh highest points per possession and another advanced metric for you, JJ, in terms of uh, breaking the press and, and scoring points per possession efficiency against the press, which is what Miami did to Drake down the stretch. Now, that's surprising going back to the notion that Indiana might have some ball handler issues only having your one reliable point guard in Hochefino, but Galloway can handle it. Tamar Bates a little bit off the bench, even though he's not a primary ball handler. It's pretty much Hochefino and Galloway. So that's a note against the Canes team that isn't good defensively outside of the top 100 of adjusted defensive efficiency, but they want to pressure the ball and they could turn you over like they did to Drake in those final minutes of the round of 64. And then it's Miami's interior defense, allowing a bottom 85 opponent's two-point scoring rate, which is where Indiana relies on with that the best player in college basketball. I'm glad I could say it. I'm glad I thought of it because Trace Jackson Davis, I know Zach Eadie is going to win the Wooden Award, but Trace Jackson Davis is the best player in the country, JJ. We saw what he did 
against Kent State. I believe I have the nugget here. The first player in NCAA tournament history with 20 plus points, five assists, and five blocks in a single game. And also the first player in the last 25 years to put up that those stats with no fouls in any Division I game. No you know, tournament or regular season. Best player in the country. I think he dominates Miami's front court. I think Thompson, who had a big game against Kent State as well, does the same. I think Indiana advances to the Sweet 16 and gives Houston potentially, I don't want to say hell, but they're going to give them a fight in the Sweet 16 for sure if they get there. So you always have these examples of 15, 16. Well, this is the second example of the 16. You get my drift, where you're coming off the moment of all moments. Philly Dickinson just beat Purdue. That is the moment these kids are going to cherish for the rest of their life. They got to play a game 48 hours later. Now you get a Florida Atlantic team. It's not the normal run of the mill, big upset, and then you get like the blue blood after the fact. Like the example I always give Eli is Middle Tennessee State beat Michigan State, and then they had Syracuse waiting for them, where Syracuse, listen, they're battle tested. It's a program, it's a brand name. Sure. To me, to get Florida Atlantic here is the worst thing for Philly Dickinson. This Florida Atlantic team is hungry, they are gritty. They won 30-plus games this year, and I I didn't know what the line was going to be when I woke up on Saturday morning. I see what the line is. That tells me all I need to know. (laughs) I think they're going to absolutely kill Fairleigh Dickinson, and it's going to make Purdue look that much worse for losing (laughs) to Fairleigh Dickinson. I don't normally like laying 17, but to me, that's the only way you play this game. Yeah. No, I'm I'm with you, man. Just going back to the FAU-Memphis game for a second, heck of a finish. I had FAU, and I also had FAU to make it to the Elite Eight. So I had them beating Purdue because of Purdue's issues with drop coverage with Edie and just the Owls' athleticism in the backcourt able to dominate, theoretically, Purdue's backcourt, which is what we saw against Fairleigh Dickinson. And why Fairleigh Dickinson is was so successful, this actually goes back to the Drake-Indiana uh, matchup and Miami, or Miami, um, Drake and obviously Miami, Indiana, therefore, um, FDU presses at the highest rate in the country. And we saw that be a big issue for Purdue throughout the entire season, let alone in the round of 64. That was, I think, a career high turnovers, five to seven, whatever the number was for Braden Smith. FAU, Florida Atlantic, doesn't struggle with turnovers, which is the difference here. That's why FDU was able to pull that off. I know people want to say, okay, well, the coach was, uh, it's, it was a great schematic plan, and it was, but matchups, like we've hit on a ton so far, matter a ton in the big dance, and it matters here. I think FAU is able to break the press with ease when FDU applies it, when they apply ball pressure as well, and Florida Atlantic has one of the more underrated scores in college basketball, Elijah Martin, who I think lights up FDU's defense. Purdue also just missed a ton of open threes. That was a big reason why. We saw it in the second half. How do you not get Zach Eady a shot attempt in the final, what, nine plus minutes of that game? Like, I know it's on, it was on Purdue's guards because they were gun shy as hell to not throw the ball into the post. FDU did a great job of fronting the post so Edie couldn't get those touches. But then Matt Painter, again, his last three losses have been a team that have a 13 seed or higher, I believe. So, yeah, I can clearly go on rants all day, JJ. But I do think FAU, I don't know about covers. It's a it's a steep line, but I do think they get this one done comfortably. Are they live to win that region, FAU? 
I don't think so. I think it's Elite Eight ceiling because if you face a Kentucky, Tennessee is going to be an interesting Sweet 16 matchup if FAU does get there. But the Vols, three-point defense is due for even more regression. And this is an FAU team that chucks up threes. That's where they're scoring in terms of their scoring percentage. A lot of it comes from behind the arc. But if you face a Kentucky with Kentucky's athleticism, again, it goes back to the Arkansas point of just power ratings preseason and how high it was on both Kentucky, which was my number one team in my preseason power ratings, along with Arkansas top 10. So I don't think so. I think it's elite eight ceiling, JJ. But I do think they get by FDU again comfortably. I don't know about cover, but I do think they advance to the Sweet 16. Real quick, Eli, final one. TCU's the last game of the night. TCU had a thrilling win over Arizona State. Gonzaga, they've had plenty of moments of futility in this NCAA tournament. TCU live in this game at four and a half? Yeah, it's one of those like momentum carriers after what we saw uh, with TCU coming back after Arizona State. Blew the lead and came back. Mike Miles, one of the more prolific guards in college basketball, and he really sparks this Horn Frogs transition offense. And Gonzaga's defense is not the same, going back to last season, having Chet Holmgren, and I know one of your producers at the Ringer, and I think he hosts too a little bit. Steve Cerruti is a big Holmgren guy. Go back with uh, Steve. But I, I do think that TCU's transition offense is, again, able to take advantage of Gonzaga defense, that even though Grand Canyon wasn't efficient in the second half. I think that was just more of a product of, again, missing shots. It's The tournament's all about variance. We saw with Oral Roberts against Duke, people were, I don't think you were going this far, JJ, when we were texting back and forth about Duke, but people were crowning Duke to be a national champion just based off of the Oral Roberts game and, you know, zipping by an ACC tournament title that the conference just isn't that good. And Oral Roberts missed a ton of open shots. So, Gonzaga's elite offensively, and when their offense is clicking, they're able to make up and mitigate their defensive issues, whether it's defending the rim or just their half-court defense in general. But I, the number, I, I give a slight lean towards the Horned Frogs. I do think Gonzaga wins this one straight up, so maybe you try to grab Gonzaga live if, they, if you get plus money, potentially on the money line, maybe even a, a, a small middle opportunity could arise in this game just because of how prolific Gonzaga's half-court offense is against the TCU team that when they're not getting those transition opportunities, they really struggle from three. We're talking about around 30% collective efficiency. So it's it's one of those where I guess maybe you try to middle and, and take TCU pregame, but I'm probably going to stay away from the game in general. Eli, my three best bets tomorrow. Kentucky, Michigan State, Creighton. What are your best bets for the card Sunday? Indiana, really like Indiana to move along, especially with that title feature. And even at two and a half, I, I do think Marquette is still overvalued in the market. So Michigan State advances to the Sweet 16. I have that in my bracket. I like the sound of a family play. Eli, thank you so much for staying up late. This was a ton of fun. Uh, you'll have to check in with us at some point next week as we're still maybe alive with some of these futures or maybe we're looking at our wounds or Maybe we're somewhere in the middle. I don't even know. But thanks for staying <laughs> up late. Where can we check out your stuff? Yeah, head over to thelines.com. I got three write-ups for Sunday's game. Uh, games, Kentucky, Kansas State, Indiana, Miami, and the Florida Atlantic, fairly Dickinson game. So check that out. And also check out the Lines podcast. I got a college basketball podcast coming out Monday, breaking down the Sweet 16 and looking ahead a little bit to some potential lead-it matchups. So it should be, a, should be a fun week, JJ. 
Eli's as good as anybody with this stuff. I appreciate a couple of minutes. Check his stuff out. This guy eats, sleeps, drinks, all of it with the college basketball. Let's cash some tickets tomorrow. We're back Tuesday with East Coast Bias. Good job by Stefan. Eli, JJ, signing off. Be good, everybody.